0: Way? You
1: are, Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. It is five o'clock here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Welcome to Signal Fire Radio. We are so very thankful if this is your first time joining us, and if it is your first time joining us, I should probably introduce you to our co-host, and then I'll get around to introducing myself. I'm joined to my right by Evan, the muscle hamster, Anderson. Evan, how are you today, my friend? I'm elated, sir. Elated. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Matt, do you know the word elated? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, they taught me at my MBA. At your MBA? <laughs> the only one here who has an MBA is Matt Milot who is on my left. Matt, how are you today, sir? I'm fabulous. Good to be here. Good. Well, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Again, this is Signal Fire Radio. If this is the first time that you have joined us, let me tell you what it is that we're about. So uh, Evan, Matt, and I are three military veterans. Actually, Evan, I misspoke. You're still on active duty. Currently serving veteran. Currently serving veteran. Ooh, I like that. I don't know if that's a thing, but I- Did you come up with that on your own? I'll coin that. Yeah, coin it, man. We'll make a t-shirt for it. (laughs) Um, And uh, what we do, what we're about is showing our community at large that active duty military and veterans are a community, are a microcosm that can be looked at as aspirational, as leaders, as somebody, as a group of people who who can come together and can show courage, moral courage, that can help us in our communities at large. That's why we named it Signal Fire, because we believe individuals have the capacity to do great things, to do the right thing. And uh, we just think, you know, as a group of veterans, we're uniquely positioned to be able to do that. Um, So we don't think under any uh, stretch of the imagination that this is exclusionary, that it's just to veterans or to their spouses or things along those lines. We have seen it time and time again through our professional work as entrepreneurs and business leaders and, and active duty military. That uh, when somebody is doing the right thing for the right reasons, that other people tend to get in line with that. Sure. So um, again, we thank you for being here. If, uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, please head over to our website, signalfire.media. Again, that's signalfire.media. Or at any one of us on LinkedIn, man. I don't know about you guys, but I enjoy communicating with people directly through social media. So
2: That reminds me, I need to connect with you on LinkedIn. Are we not connected on LinkedIn? No, I think we
1: are. Actually, you know what? We should probably just tell that story. That's a good segue because how did you and I come to meet?
2: Um, I think the f- impetus was I saw one of your videos. Yeah. Rich Cardona.
1: Evan, have I told you this story no. about how MyLot catfished me? Oh my. Yeah. So we're on LinkedIn. You know, and I post very regularly on LinkedIn. Oh, that's it daily. Yeah. Try to, during try, the to, week. try to provide some value to the community, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And this guy keeps commenting, you know, five, six comments. Fantastic. It's Matt, you know? And so, you know, we're engaging back and forth. We're playing footsie with one another. And so we take it to the direct messages (laughs) and I'm like, Hey Matt, I I just thank you. We're doing this. Yeah, (laughs) Matt, thank you so much for all your engagement on my posts. You know, I'm new in town. I'd really love to get to meet you. And he's like, okay, great. Let's get together
2: for a beer. So where did we go? Actually, I think you initially said, let's get together for coffee. And Mm. I indicated I'm not really a coffee drinker. You upgraded, you
1: upgraded from, from coffee to beer.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He well, had I had saw the, the scarlet and gold in it to your the eyes. Nightlife. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, I, we need to add the caveat that I know nothing about social media. Period. Yeah. And the only social media I've ever had is LinkedIn, and it's really been the last six months just watching Rob and Evan actually implement the functionality and the tools for what it's worth, well, which it's, I don't know
1: how to use. It's it. a platform, right? And and we'll we'll talk more about stuff like that because this is mar- largely what we're doing with Signify Radio is because of what we've been doing on social media, but let's not digress. So where did we go? Where did we go meet for a beer, Matt?
2: Pose Tavern.
1: Pose Tavern, right? Which we think is one of the top rated patios in town. And did you look anything like your profile picture? No. No, not at all. And this is why I thought I was getting catfished. Because his original profile picture, he had this huge red beard and long hair. and, And I show up and it's baby face, Matt. And he's like, hey, bro. Hey, man, are you Rob? And I'm like, yeah. So... Uh, that's the story about how Matt Milak catfished me into being his friend. Well,
2: once you see his hair, it's like, there's no turning (laughs) back. Close with and destroy.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So, um, so yeah, we actually all got brought together through social media. That's kind of what set up this, this platform for us to be able to talk about important issues as you transition from military service. Mm -hmm. And the one that we're going to discuss today, and we have, I'm so excited about this guest, Evan, and you brought the guest to us. So I'm going to let you talk about introduce him. But the topic today is taking time off in between military and whatever's going to be next for you, whether right. that's school, whether that's going straight to the police department like you did, Matt, um, or trying to get into corporate. So really just for our listeners and our watchers, the reason we set this crew up the way that we did is because we wanted broad representation across you know almost 20 years of military service between the three of us. And then our guests Supplement that, um, you know, Pat Fensom, our guest today, did 31 years in the Army. More than all of us. Yeah, more than all of us combined. Yeah, put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's going to tell us some amazing stories from his past. But, you know, we wanted Evan to be a part of this show because you're on active duty and you're thinking about transitioning. Right. And Matt, you and I, we transitioned completely differently. So with the three of us and our guests, we just want to bring perspective and raw data, I guess, from our own anecdotes sure. a- about life that hopefully can assist the next generation of people that are going to go through what you're going through right now. Adam. Right, that's the idea. Yeah. That it's, it's a terrifying process. Yeah. And as early as you start your preparation, um, you know, you got to plan for Murphy. Yeah. And, and that is that if something can go wrong, it, it most likely will. And yeah. maybe, maybe that's because you're thinking about it and maybe that's because things are never destined to turn out the way you originally planned, but it helps- it helps to have friends and it helps to have resources and it helps to have outlets. And um, I, I really think that we can provide that to a yeah. lot of people. I agree with you. I agree with you. So my lot, we're going to start with you. Okay. Cause we were talking before the show. Yep. You and I transitioned very differently. You didn't take a break. You went straight into the next thing. Start us from, you, you know, you graduate from OCS and, you know, just tell us that story.
2: Yeah, so I went through the commissioning program um, after finishing up my undergrad. Well, through my last two years at UNC Wilmington, um, had an air contract to go in and, and become an aviator in the Marine Corps. Um, and it should be mentioned, I was enlisted, prior enlisted. Um, so when you get an air contract, at least in the Marine Corps, you have to commission uh, prior to being 27 years old in six months. When I was commissioning, I was going to be 27-year-old and. 27 year old and eight months. So I had to get what's called an age waiver saying, even though he exceeds the maximum age, he's good to go.
1: I don't mean to interrupt you, but you, we had to give you an age waiver to be on this show too, because yeah,
2: mention should be made that I am 10 years older than Evan.
1: There will be lots of old jokes.
2: I have to teach him what emojis are.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Matt, please continue.
2: Oh God. Um, yeah. So I got an age waiver and, um, you know, because of my time in the Marine Corps, I had a, a network of, of close brothers um, that were still serving. Um, one of my closest brothers, uh, uh, his name's Paul Sock, very close friend of mine. Um, he was a, a warrior, um, and uh, he went he went to Annapolis. And, um, anyways, when I was at OCS, he was my staff platoon commander. So he was the actual captain that was overseeing you know our training. Well, like any good salty Marine does, he fraternizes. So the last couple of weeks that I was at OCS, literally me and my wife had sold our house in North Carolina, relocated to Virginia, and we were planning on spending the next 20 plus years in the Marine Corps. So I get on Liberty. because you actually get time off the last few weeks at OCS? Is that what and they
1: do for officers? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Candidates. Please continue. Candidates. Oh, candidates. Excuse so, me.
2: so i link up with Paul who uh, lived in Arlington and uh, we went out and just basically had a couple beers and hung out for the night and he basically said, dude, we have to have a heart to heart because I want to just be completely transparent with you because you're my brother and I love you. He had been previewed to um, talks that the Marine Corps for 2007 and 2008 had over-recruited the amount of candidates and lieutenants that they had um, granted air contracts to. And he says, I, I don't, you know, I'm just a captain, but I'm just saying that there's potential, pretty solid potential that because of your age waiver, you might lose your air contract because at the end of the day, the Marine Corps dictates what you're going to do, you know, because when you become a Marine Corps officer, your sole purpose is to go lead Marines. So, and you know, I, 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 was in the infantry. I was a ground pounder when I was enlisted. And as much as I loved it, my only interest was to go fly, just wanted to go fly. So, um, and to be honest from that day for the next two weeks, which is when I ended up graduating OCS, it was radically emotional for me because I had already, got in the mind frame that we, my family was going to live the Marine Corps life for coming decades. So I had a conversation with, uh, with my wife the last weekend um, that I had Liberty prior to graduation. And um, it was a decision I had to make because after you commission, it's like, you're in, you know, it's not like you can just jump ship and punch out. It's we were, we're committed and spent some time praying and just trying to resonate with like, you know, what is the why and what is most important at the end of the day, which it's, it's going to be my family. Right. And long story short, I made the decision to, to basically finish out OCS and to just walk away from my commission.
1: had, Had Ryan or Reagan been born yet?
2: Ryan was six months old.
1: Okay. All right. So just to paint the picture, um, you aren't going to get what you want to do in the Marine Corps. Uh, you have a wife, you have your first daughter, you guys have sold the house in North Carolina. So you're mobile. So at least that part of it right. was good, um, but you're not gonna you're not gonna continue going forward with Marine Corps. What happened after that?
2: So in that same conversation, the weekend prior to graduation, when I was on the phone with my wife, we decided then and there in a thirty minute conversation, we're walking away from this opportunity and we're we're doing the civilian life. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I had the flexibility of my wife being an RN, so transferable career anywhere. Um, And we said, well, let's try moving back to California. My, my wife is from Virginia, so she had never lived on the West coast. She had never lived actually anywhere outside of Virginia, North Carolina. So overnight we make the decision and it was, it was, I I can't even explain how difficult of a decision it was. I mean, I was lying in my rack at night, just tears going down my eyes. Um, And then, you know, graduation, I had my whole family coming out from the West coast and they're all on board with it because they, they had the same vision that we did, but so, yeah, moved back to California, had no idea what I was going to do. And fortunately, at the time, my younger brother was working at a Whole Foods distribution center because mm-hmm. I needed to do something. You know, my wife got hired within five minutes of landing in California. Um, so, you know, I spent about four months trying to figure out what I'm doing. I was actually uh, in final interviews for a job with Hewlett Packard in their international business office. But at the same time, I was completely terrified because it's just like corporate what? Like, I don't understand any of this. I didn't have a business background or education. Um, And then, you know, after a few months, I I was having very fluid communication with some of my close buddies from the Marine Corps who had transitioned into law enforcement. And uh, that was kind of just another decision that I I said, you know what? I'm going to put this corporate opportunity off for a while and let me go do something that I know how to do, you know, tactical so, work.
1: Yeah. So, so uh, we're going to be up against break here in a minute. So in, in, you know, a minute, minute and a half uh, and we're going to hear from Pat, our guest, who I think just made the most amazing like spirit journey I've ever read about oh, for sure. from his blog. Um, and and we're going to tell you guys about that to kind of give you the other side of what this looks like. But Matt in, you know, what is a ton of rush decisions? You had 30 minutes to transition where Evan's been working for 30 months on. Getting out of the army. (laughs) What, what (laughs) effect (laughs) did that have on you and your family?
2: Um, honestly, I, I, at least what was going on inside me, it was atrocious. Mm -hmm. It was atrocious because, you know, I had been operating for years that now I'm going to be in the Marine Corps for 20 years. I don't have to worry about anything else. You know, it's like, I know the Marine Corps, I don't have to learn it. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the, the civilian sector, and it was terrifying because I, I didn't know how to apply for a job. I didn't know anything right. about anything outside the Marine Corps, and it was terrifying. And it, it really reflected in my relationship with my wife, um, and it, it started a very painful struggle for at least the foreseeable few years in front of me that I didn't really expect.
1: Hey, man, appreciate you sharing that. You, you part, of, part of uh, what our foundational belief system with Signal Fire is based on is the book Struggle Well, which uh, is written by Ken Falk. And, uh, you know, he's got a five-step process to, to post-traumatic growth is what he calls it. PTG. PTG, man. We don't focus on PTSD. We focus on PTG here. And, you know, the five steps is educate and disclose. And so talking about That's these only things. Two. I know. I'm not going to give you the rest of them all you at once. You have to That's read pro- it. That's a professional radio tease because on the back end of this break, we're going to introduce our guest, Pat Fensom, who is a retired command sergeant major, 31 years now, performance consultant, and I think one of the best storytellers we've come into contact with, Evan. I'm, I'm so stoked just to hear him All right, so do not go anywhere, because when we come back, we're going to have our guest Pat on, and uh, we're going to explore the other side of this. Welcome back to Signal Fire Radio, ladies and gentlemen. We have to play some Southern Californian reggae for Matt, because if we do too much punk rock or we do too much you know, high-energy rock music matt's not a fan don't forget to use our hashtag of the day hashtag matt hates punk rock or the alternative hashtag matt loves reggae we are joined today uh by pat Fensum. pat thank you so much for being here we are so excited to talk to you
0: uh it's good to be here i appreciate the invite
1: yeah so a quick bio on fat on, on pat uh 31 years in the Army, a lot of it was Special Forces. 26 of those years, yes. And then and then you decided to do something that I think is just critical, uh, and that was after you got out, you decompressed a little bit. Sure. You went and did something from your blog, White White Belt Mindset, that you always wanted to go do. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Okay, Rob. So uh, I-, I think I wanted to preface that episode with how I set some conditions for okay. that. As I was transitioning, uh, after 31 years, I knew it was my time. You kind of know when it's your time to get out. And so I had to figure out what my next chapter was going to look like. I knew for me I didn't have to identify that next chapter, black and white, bold, underscored, this is going to be it. You know, I gave myself some grace. But I wanted that adventure. And so uh, in preparing for that mindset— I started asking folks around me, my subordinates, to call me by my name, Pat. Very difficult thing to do in a military organization because of the rank I held. They're used to calling me Sergeant Major, this or that. But I would ask them, call me Pat. And it was for this reason. It was to set my mental state to be ready for my transition and to be Pat. And in becoming Pat again and not expecting the you know, the respect or the protocols that come with certain ranks, it led me into this journey, this next chapter of my life. And part of figuring out who Pat was after 31 years and being a Green Beret and doing this and that, um, I had to go back to my roots. And part of the going back to my roots was to go to Japan and do some study in martial arts. Now, I was fortunate to wrap that into my grad school because one of the things I wanted to do post-military was continue my education in the field of performance psychology, which just absolutely fascinates me. And so I rolled that in. I did a pitch to the dean uh, for my thesis that I wanted to go to Japan, paid for by me, I was going to study mental skills and performance mindset in a dojo that was unfamiliar to me. I had done judo and karate growing up, and so I picked kendo, something that I would have to start at the beginning. And those conditions were part of me getting back to Pat, put myself from the military realm where I was a senior enlisted advisor back down to, you know, in a uh, symbolic way, being the bottom guy. Mm -hmm. So I knew going to this dojo, I was going to be the guy that had to mop the floor, set up the shoes and all that. I had some expectations. But as I progressed through this six weeks journey in the early part of 2020, it was very interesting, my biases, my thoughts. I gained more self-awareness of who I was through that journey. And a lot of interesting anecdotal incidences that took place, not just in the dojo, but in between my 30 to 40-minute train travel back and forth, what went through my mind, what I reflected on from that training. And so um, that that's exactly what I did.
1: Yeah, I think I want to hear about some of these anecdotes straight from you. Because you know I read the blog. As soon as you sent it to me after Evan connected, I was just enthralled yeah. with it. And so the first one, so you do speak Japanese. I do. So So the language barrier wasn't going to be an issue for you. But from my understanding, where you went in Japan, you had no understanding of the neighborhood. You kind of went with a ticket and a whim, right? Right, right. So tell us a little bit about that. Just, I mean, just, you know, throwing caution to the wind. Yeah,
0: yeah. So my goal was, here in the States, as I was planning this out, I had a start date. I had an end date. I had a ticket. And I had sent several emails to different dojos asking for a letter of acceptance or, hey, they would take me in to be a student for these conditions, six weeks. I got no responses, zero, nothing. Email, no faxes. And so I told my wife, hey, I'm still going. Tickets bought. Yeah. I'm going to train. I will figure this out. And part of those conditions were that I wanted to stay in a neighborhood that was not part of the tourist areas. So I got Airbnb, and I'll tell you, brother, <laughs> that the room I had in this Airbnb was smaller than any room I had in Afghanistan. <laughs> I could touch both walls, and so that was another thing for me. Or you know, I got decent living here in the states. Yeah. I got a pretty decent house, um, but I'm now in Tokyo, on a third floor, with the room that's what most people would consider a closet, and no, you know, a very thin mattress. And in my mind, I was like, you know, I've, I've been there, done that before. Right. I slept on ground, cold, whatever. But I'm paying for this, and I'm going to be training hard, and my body needs something to sleep on. Uh, and, but that was just one of several problem sets before I got into the dojo, because I had, at this point, had not been accepted. Mm-hmm. So I got there on a Sunday. I wanted to start training on a Wednesday. That was my goal. So Monday and Tuesday was going to be area familiarization. I was going to check out the routes what the area close by looked like, where I was going to eat. But on top of that, where the dojos were. And I had planned all this out, mapped it all out. So I went to several dojos, and they gave me the no. Um, worry started setting in. Like, man, because you know, I'm a confident guy. Right. I knew if I showed up at the doorstep of the first dojo, they're going to accept me. That was not the case. Second one, not, nothing. I went to the third one. They didn't even answer to the door. Come to find out later, nobody was home. And so I'm going back to this small um, closet space of a room and trying to figure out what is my next course of action. I'm going to go back to that original dojo because I picked that. That was number one on my list. This was the one that nobody answered.
2: So is this like a cultural thing? Because, I mean, I, I'm all my experiences here in the U.S., and you can just walk into yeah. a karate studio. Yes
0: and-, and no. Some of the modern schools, but it is proper courtesy and respect. And sometimes if you're only going to come there for a short duration, they have the liberty to say, no, we're not going to take you in unless you're going to commit to six months to a year. In fact, one school wanted foreign visitors to be there for a year before they would accept them in. So came Wednesday. I had all my gear, and I went to the dojo that never answered the door. I stood outside. Came out of the subway. It's cold. January. It started snowing. And there I am, an hour early, knocking on the door. Nobody's answering. I'm like, man, this really sucks. (laughs) And so I knocked on it again. And I said, well, they advertised they're going to start training in 30 minutes. Surely somebody's going to show up. As I'm waiting on the second floor, windows opens up, and a guy speaks in Japanese. So there I am in a street small street. I bow to him and I introduced myself and it was, it took me back to some training. I went through in 1990 meeting the G chief or the guerrilla chief in a training event where I had to get access into his area, right. his home. I had to humble myself. And so I bow, I speak to him in Japanese. He realizes that I'm not a Japanese citizen that, he asked me if I'm from the States. I, I respond, yes. And he starts speaking in broken English. And he said, tells me to come back at 30 minutes, and then we'll talk. So I'm out, sitting outside on the bench, cold, snowing. He didn't even invite you in? No, no. <laughs> Dude, this is like a classic martial arts movie. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Is. it really yeah, right? is, yeah. Right? I, I reflected on that afterwards. So then about 15 minutes passes by, and he opens the door, brings me in to the second floor, which is his house. So the first floor is his dojo, the second floor is his house. And we start talking. I find out that he had tried to set up some schools in the States in the 50s and 60s. That's why he spoke some English. Between his broken English and my you know, grasp of Japanese, we were able to communicate effectively. And that started my six-week journey training in his dojo. And it was a phenomenal experience. I still reflect upon it this day. I think from it, it's going to be a life, a lifetime of lessons for me.
1: So, so you, he invites you in. You train that day. Your first day is that day. That day. What is what is that first day of training where uh, a special forces command sergeant major? You're a big dude, um, and massive in Japan. Yeah, yeah, massive in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? Because this is a new discipline for you, right? Sure. You hadn't studied brand that. New. What, what, Tell us about that uncomfort.
0: So there was there was a lot of I did. I intentionally didn't even practice putting on the uniform and the armor correctly. A lot of YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. I remember being here in the States, and I turned on YouTube, and I, said, I made a decision. I'm not going to learn this. I'm going to set the conditions for me to go brand new as if I'm coming off the street in Japan. So even getting dressed up in the dressing area, these guys are looking at me with strange looks. One guy finally approaches me and starts showing me how to put on the gear correctly. And so, you know, really starting to build rapport there. They're, they're understanding I'm brand new. right? I mean, I'm fresh. Uh, I knew enough to go into a dojo where to stand. I've been in dojos plenty, plenty of times. And uh, I was just going to give 100%. That's, that's always been my mindset. Um, there's going to be a lot of things I don't know, but I will pick up quickly. And I'm here to learn. I'm I'm doing my thesis on mental skills, mental conditioning. And I'm also here to learn more about me. Nobody knew I was a sergeant major. I intentionally uh, did not disclose that, that I was in the military or anything. Um, And that's how I wanted to be known as PAT. So we started training, of course. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. is a common saying in the military for me. That day, slow was not smooth. And smooth was ugly. Uh, you know, just raising my arm. I have some athletic skills in baseball and all that. But hitting with a shinai or the bamboo sword, uh, a lot of weight distribution. And, you know, it's not big muscle movements, It's very finesse. 130-pound guys coming across in split second and cracking on the head. And my, re- my re- response is, I could hit you harder, and I'm going to do it. But as I make that move, because I'm using big muscle groups, They've already got three shots on me before right. I even make that move. You know, so it was a lot of not just physical conditioning, learning these skills, but it was a lot of mental stuff for me, and that's exactly what I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that first day was something. And I will tell you, they spent a lot of time in the formalities of kendo. So squatting on your knees, okay? So this is how hard-headed I am. I knew, I, I've known I'm hard-headed. People tell me that. Uh, I see guys... You know, sitting, kneeling still, and I tell you, you know, combat injuries, training injuries, my ankles and knees were screaming. I mean, there was a lot of language going on between my body and my head, and it was not positive all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm starting to move slowly. I'm feeling a lot of discomfort, and they're doing this, and they're sitting still. And um, one of the guys asked me, one of the senior guys, Pat's on. Do you have knee pads? Well, they didn't have knee pads in way back when, when, you know, the real warriors were doing that. So therefore, I'm not going to have knee pads because right. that's sacrilegious. That night when everybody was getting out of their garb, every single guy had a knee pad. And I <laughs> said to myself, I will get knee pads if they cost 1000 bucks for <laughs> one. I'm going to have knee pads. I made a beeline. Part of, part of my route back on the train was by some department stores. I went in and I looked for knee pads, you know, but I went through a series of now that's weak. That's soft. That's, uh, that's not traditional to why are you being so stupid? Why are you being hardheaded? Yeah. Let go. Okay. Your old Pat was doing it this way. Okay. Your knees can't take this. And my knees are telling me we're not going to do this anymore. You know? So there was that. The, all these little anecdotal stories that took place.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And another one I want to I ask you about uh, on the other end of the break is um, eventually the, the master of the dojo invited you in to have dinner with him. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so that was a big moment for that you. That was huge. Yeah. That was huge. Yeah.
0: In fact, not only did we have that meal, we had several impromptu meals. And then as I was, during my fifth week, they said, hey, in your last day with us, we want to throw a dinner for you. Wow. Now to keep in mind, you know, again, they don't know my background, other than I speak some Japanese. And my mother's from Japan. They didn't know I was a sergeant major. And and I didn't care that I was a sergeant major. That, that, that that's my past. They didn't know my background, in special forces or the military. But I think what they recognized is six weeks of dedication. I wanted to be with them. Um, I submitted myself to them. I was willing to learn. And then I grew during that process. You know, they actually tested me um, my very last day. And in six weeks I went from brand spanking new white belt to um, one belt below black belt, wow. one stripe below black belt. Holy cow. Yeah, it, it, was, it was tremendous. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, when we get back from the break, uh, I wanna hear a little bit more about what's happened from then until now. You said the term smooth is slow and slow is fast. I've always thought about um, sometimes you have to slow down to go fast. I think those two things come hand in hand, and that's why you know we, we reviewed Matt's story with his transition where he didn't have the opportunity to do that at all.
2: Oh, I had the opportunity. I just didn't have the yeah, yeah, mental yeah. fortitude.
1: <laughs> but I, but I want to know you know for the people who are watching, who are listening, we'll pick this up on the other end of the break. What did that do for you, that experience? Yeah, How did that give you – a, a runway to sure. go. What's next? So don't go anywhere. We're uh, going to come back. We're going to do our third and final segment with Pat Fensom right here on Signal Fire Radio. Come back to Signal Fire Radio, ladies and gentlemen. We have with us Pat Fensom, retired Command Sergeant Major. And I, after the first fifteen minutes with him, I'm just going to straight up call him Obi Wan Kenobi because I think <laughs> when it comes to the way you transitioned from an incredible military career. Um, If you didn't catch us in the last break, Pat went to Japan and basically lived out a movie, as he was explaining it to us, about trying to get invited into a dojo to study martial arts. And he knew the language, but he didn't know the neighborhood, and he hadn't been accepted, and so... Uh, just fantastic. You can listen to this episode. Uh, we do record them and post them on our website, signalfiremedia.com. Uh, it's available streaming on YouTube as well as all of your podcast channels. So Pat, you know what we want to talk about now for the next couple of minutes is uh, you know, we, we teased it earlier in the segment about slowing down to go fast. And, you know, we talked at the beginning about Matt not having the opportunity to plan out his transition. You did some amazing things that I'd never heard of before. Number one, you told your subordinates, call me Pat. So that way you could re-assimilate that. And then you went and you did this spirit journey is the only thing I can think about. Fast forward to the end of the six weeks that you were in Japan. What did that do for your mind, your body, your spirit? To, to catapult you forward to now?
0: So it was a dream come true in, in, in many ways uh, for me. Going into it, I didn't know it was going to be that. And again, I, we talked, you know, we shared with our listeners earlier, I was trying to figure out who Pat was. Mm-hmm. And those six weeks confirmed a lot of my beliefs and my vision beforehand and also just set the conditions for the journey ahead. You know, I look at life as a story with a lot of chapters. My military career was several chapters, but that's not who Pat is or was. That didn't define me. Certainly influenced a lot. So moving ahead, being able to take this experience and want energy, energy from it, so continued growth, which is very important, and that growth is important for me because I love tapping into other people's lives. I love encouraging others. I like to help coach. I want to be by their side. I want to be a teammate. But in order for me to be effective, teammate, coach, whatever, I have got to continue learning myself. Mm-hmm. So putting myself in these situations or that situation and others um, will help me to continue grow. Have life experiences and share that with others that I may cross paths with. So, yeah, absolutely. That was important. That was huge. I for think
1: me. you just defined, Matt, and agree with me, if you will, exactly what we believe a signal fire to be. Yeah. A, a person who represents a signal fire is that, you know, you can't help anybody else until you yourself feel that you're in alignment. We, we talk a lot about, you know, mind, body, spirit, and tribe or community, um, and having feeding those machines the right way. So tell us what are some of your personal wellness practices? You know, after you've done, you've done the walk about now, um, yeah. and you're helping people professionally as a performance consultant, mm-hmm. but your, your journey, this chapter, you're still writing. So, yeah, you know, what absolutely. are you doing now that, that you can offer?
0: There's several things I do and that I've committed to. So, you know, as I transition from the military, one of the things we learn in the military is to have a mission statement. So I wrote a mission statement for myself, and it is a living mission statement. In that statement, I have words such as fun, how I define fun, and I have, you know, um, subcategories of that mission statement. What, what is fun? What does fun look like? It is giving life into other people. So the things I do now, uh, I'm part of a book club, Five guys I went to grad school with, totally different backgrounds. One's a, a major league baseball coach. One is a consultant in the business world out in California. Another guy is in the National Guard. And another guy is a coach with a different baseball team and myself. So none of us or not all of us have a special operations background. Not all of us are in business. We're not coaches. Diverse backgrounds. We've come together and we're studying a book talk, uh, called Stillness is a Key. And it is so rich in the things we talk about, the pause that you, you uh, just described. Um, I like to golf. I've taken on golf as a new thing for a couple of reasons. One, I just happened to buy a house on a golf course. So <laughs> I got learn golf, right? Uh, two, as I went out there and played, in three and a half to four hours of playing 18 holes, It said that about 18 minutes of it is actually put towards the golf skill, swinging a club. Mm. So think about that. 18 minutes out of three and a half to four hours, what's going on the rest of the time? A lot of mental stuff. Oh, guess what, Pat? You're a mental skills consultant. What are you doing out there? What are you thinking about? How are you bettering yourself? How are you approaching each shot? How are you leaving each shot? So that's another method that's my, my time, me time, Then I have my time with the guys uh, in this book club. And then, of course, I still uh, find myself involved with uh, the military. I, I uh, volunteer with the Green Beret Foundation to help guys making the transition from the military and uh, dealing with some struggles in life, whether it's post-combat struggles, transitioning struggles, and uh, just, just life in itself. Mm-hmm. So I, I do. You know, a combination of pay consulting that I do, uh, pro bono consulting in some cases, and then volunteer uh, assistance with the uh, Green Beret Foundation.
1: Matt, you remember how I told you uh, I would give you the other three steps in the process of from struggle. Well, yes, or the first two, do you remember? Hashtag Matt, Matt doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Educate, disclose, and then step three is to regulate. Step four is to write your new story. And then step five is acts of service. Sure. It sounds to me like what you just described, your life after the six-week journey in Japan, is a combination of all of those things. Do you find that that is aligning with who you want to be as you move into this next chapter of your life?
0: hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, the blog that, that I sent to you, White Belt Mindset, the idea of White Belt Mindset really... Um, symbolizes what I was taught early in life and what I 100% believe now. A lot of folks think when you go to a dojo, the goal is what? To be a black belt. And Mr. Miyagi said you could go buy a black belt at Sears, right? True statement. The idea of becoming a black belt was taught to me early on. That's on the halfway point. Through hard work, sweat, tears, blood, bruises, that white belt becomes black. Through continued work, that black belt starts losing, losing the strands and returns to the base of that belt, which is white. The things that you just described are things that are pointing me in the direction of getting back to that white belt. You know, so it is given back. It is learning. It is feeding yourself. It is that community. Who are you in this journey with? Who are you helping? How are you being helped? Sometimes we have mm-hmm. to humble ourselves and say, Hey, I don't know how to transition. I don't know how to do business. I know I want to do it. But hey, can you guys show me? And it is, you know, just that whole continual, maybe yin and yang. Yeah. The, the ebb and flow of life.
1: That was deep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was getting chills as he was describing it. So, you know, I believe, and, and I think Matt and Evan, uh, join me in saying this: is that you know the veteran community. We can serve as a standard bearer for the rest of society to look at if we're able to live within what we've described here over the past thirty, thirty-five minutes. What would you say to something
0: like that? Oh, I hundred percent agree. I mean, not only can we do that, we got so much to learn, and we all came from this culture as citizens of the greatest nation. We're all Americans. We, our chapter took us into the military. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. Some people struggle with transition from the military. There's a lot of good that came in that. But we're going back into society, and we had the opportunity to continue teaching folks. The next generation is what I like to call. That's how Evan and I came across uh, each other's journey. Tapping into the next generation, being a champion for them, encouraging them, taking my lessons, And, um, sharing that with others. So maybe they don't make that mistake or in many cases we want them to make that mistake because that's where growth happens, but being there for them when they make those mistakes. So it's not a catastrophic mistake. Right. So So I,
2: I don't know if you mentioned it, but did you have somebody that was somewhat of like a mentor or somebody's practices that, uh, that has worked well for transitioning that you said, I'm going to, I'm going to do that as I transition.
0: Certainly. So I learned from several guys. I listened to their stories, um, colleagues of mine, peers of mine, and as they were transitioning. I, I, do, I do a lot of reading. I love reading. Um, I've also studied from other folks. Right now, I'm being mentored uh, by a sports psych that worked with special operations, that had worked with professional baseball, and has returned to special operations. And that sports psych's a female. Some people feel like they can't learn from a female. 100% you can learn from anybody. That's, that's my belief. You know, so you got your ego side. I could learn even from a marine. You know, <laughs>
1: right? We'll have right? to write it in Korean for yeah, you, though. <laughs> <it. laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, you
0: know, yep, seriously, yep. though, we could all learn, and I and I think so to answer your question. Yeah, I had a mentor while I was in the military. Certainly, as I became a senior listed uh, soldier, certainly had mentors there, and then as I transitioned, there was quite a bit whether it's direct mentorship where I could name that person or just doing subjecting myself to learning and reading. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's very important.
1: Two more, two more questions for you as we're coming up here against the end of it. Um, What would you be, what would that one piece of advice be? Uh, You've given so much. uh, If you could just say this is the one thing you wish you knew that you could go back and tell yourself, you know, two or three years ago, what would you offer to the people that are listening and watching this?
0: Well, because of the mentorship, there's several things that I felt like I did. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I didn't do was to really take that, as you uh, call it, spirit journey earlier. And I don't think it's necessarily a one-time event. It doesn't have to be six weeks. It could be a series of things. But I, I, I think there's some some value in getting away from the everyday stuff, the noise, as I like to call it, the noise that's out there, the noise of technology, the noise of the chaos responsibilities that we have, and they're good responsibilities. But say, hey, babe, I got to take two days out. I'm just going to go hike, and I'm just going to pause on this rock or this hilltop and think about journaling. I wish I had journaled more in preparing for this because then I could look back and still and look back and quantify some things or say, you know what, I messed up here and I didn't do that. I'm learning the art of journaling more now than I did back then. Um, I used to, you know, kind of in a prideful way say to myself, I'll remember a lot of that. And guess what? I don't. But having that journal would probably be something I could reference back to and help me stay on that course. You know, when we do Land Nav, we got to do a long movement it's not a one shot on a, on a certain azimuth. We're constantly checking that compass to realign ourselves, and I think that's important in life as well. You know?
1: Yeah. I I hope you'll come back and join us because you just said a couple other things that I want to find out about, which is how did you get your wife to buy in for you going to Japan for six yep. weeks without her? Like that's something that we need to talk yeah. about. Um, and then I also want to hear how the journaling thing is going. Cause it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I felt that I needed to do it recently too. And I had a conversation with a, a young man, he's a Marine, he's getting out January 5th and, uh, he does it. And he was just telling me how he's kind of gotten a little wayward and he went back and read something from a year, year and a half ago, just to check in with himself. And it reminded him of what he already knew. And so it, it took him kind of off a diver, a divergent path that he was on and put him back on. Right the one that he wanted to be right. on. So yeah, I, I would love it if you come back Absolutely. and join us again. Final question that I have for you is if when, you know, you're Gemini. You're, yeah. Gemini. Yeah. yeah. Long walks on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> what would a uh, uh, green beret Pat Fensom say to you being in a book club?
0: Are you kidding? Me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Dude, what, what are you smoking? <laughs> yeah.
1: I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it here for us at Signal, Signal Fire Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, please head to our website, signalfire.media. Like, subscribe, and uh, give us your feedback because we really want to know how we're doing. We want to make sure that we're providing value. Pat, thank you so very much Thanks for being here today. Thanks how can people me. get in touch with you?
0: Um, you could find me on LinkedIn, Pat Fensum. Uh, Certainly my blog, uh, whitebeltmindset.com. Those are two places you can certainly find me.
1: Pat, thank you so much. On behalf of my good friends, Evan the Muscle Hamster, Anderson, and Matt, hashtag hates punk rock my lot. We thank you so very much for being here. Check us out next Monday from 6 to 7. We'll be back here with another great guest to continue the conversation and to keep moving the signal fire forward. Thank you so very much for being here.